Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. I'm digging the Blues, coo- Blues Clues stripes today, my guy. Those are... Okay. Well, that's not what I was really going for, but thank you. You weren't going I for the Blues it. Clues? You know... Put the camera on, Melissa. Is that not Blues Clues? I think it actually is now that I look at it, but that was not what I was going for. <laughs> I like it. Maybe that's why I bought it in the first place, but I was actually thinking about what your possible... What was it? Peacock that you're going to yeah. be doing? Your Whether it's chains, chains rings, something. I think neck tattoos. I think, given your persona, you should either lean into a hat, but like not a normal hat, like like maybe like a five panel like hat or something. Something mm, I wasn't going to go that far. Not like a fedora, not that, but like a unique hat that's not just a baseball cap cowboy. or a dad hat. Something like cowboy might be not quite your vibe. Either, well, you're ruling out all the hats. Either a unique <laughs> hat here or a unique sunglass frame, or not sunglass glasses frames. Obviously, you wear glasses. Okay. That's not just your run of the mill. I wear glasses that you're trying to make a statement by wearing mm-hmm. them. I think that's where you start, and then once you have that ingrained into your personality or whatever into your milieu, you go and get out. Then maybe a chain. Then okay. maybe a bracelet. Right. Then you go branch out into those things. But I think you start by peacocking with the glasses or a hat a little bit. All right. Well, I'm going to take that as an action item. Okay. Every week moving forward, I'm going to add a, a unique piece, a unique piece to my fit here. I think we'll start with glasses frames. Maybe we'll get a gold chain, maybe a silver chain. The rings will come out. I think a second tattoo. I only have one right now. It's on my thigh. A visible, more up. visible tattoo. More visible tattoo. I think all this can help. I think once per week, just adding this other element, this other piece could really elevate my game. And I'm excited to do it. Really excited to do it. Some updates here, some intro notes. SpeakPipe, make sure you're still using SpeakPipe. We're doing the SpeakPipe voicemails. Go to speakpipe.com slash tailgate, I believe. Speakpipe.com slash tailgate, and you can leave a voicemail for the mailbag episodes. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to enter the mailbag episodes. We're going to be doing some mailbag answers, answering some mailbag questions on future shows this week. Also, make sure to use promo code FREEAGENCY30, 30% off any PFF subscription with promo code FREEAGENCY30. That is what we have on the intro notes today. Catch and buzz outside of the hat call out. Aaron Rodgers' extension is essentially two years, $124 million. What What do you make of those details? What happened there? It's – what do you mean what happened there? I, I don't know what happened there behind the scenes, but – It's I, a lot of money is what it's happened. It's a lot of money. I, I mean, he, for lack of a better word, phrase, bent them over. Uh, he knew what he had. He knew <laughs> – yeah, I've, I've won back-to-back MVPs. I can name my price. So he set the market in a big way, fifty over $50 million a year for three years and now he's there though like he he is there they cannot get rid of him he, he can't even retire if he retires they are sol I, I talk about bent over he retires next year they're taking on a hundred million dollars in dead cap he retires next year so he's there for There's no way he leaves them like that so i'm saying so he's there for like three years hopefully i mean like that would be insanity if he does retire here after this season whatever if they have you know, an Alex Smith-esque situation where after he got hurt and they couldn't just cut him because of that, this is a far more egregious example of that to where they might even, um, like I said, if he retires, he almost has to like stay on the roster but be retired because they can't take all that that bonus money that they've given him now into an acceleration. Like I said, $128 million in dead cap if he retires this year. $100 million next year. 2024, $68 million. So he is, <laughs> this contract runs through his 43 year old season so with no way out right with no way out with very with like after so after three years it's basically there like there's not there's no way out but they're taking on 40 million dollars whenever he does retire or whenever he does so basically what i hope i mean what i'm thinking is 
this is Roger saying he's going to play for three more years, basically. So as a Packers fan, you're probably you're like pretty happy about this deal because uh, they were basically just going to be it's kind of going to be like the Drew Brees towards the end of his career where it was they were paying him sort of not massive cap numbers, but then after he left, they basically were still paying him. So that's what it's going to be like with Aaron Rodgers and Packers. How do you think this affects the Jair Alexander and Devontae Adams extensions, right? Because Jair is saying, you're hearing reports that he wants to be the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL, maybe rightfully so, and Devontae Adams has literally said yesterday yeah. he's not playing on the tag, right? Like, that is – that's insane. And they honestly – I don't want to say can't have him play on the tag, but they, they could make it work, but it would be a lot easier because the tag's $20 million if they sign to like a three-year extension. I bet that's what they end up doing is matching his three years to Rodgers' three years to basically say they're going to finish out their next three years, their feasibly Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers' careers in Green Bay. And so to lower his cap hit this upcoming season to do so um, and to make it more of an all-in sort of this year. But even then, like, they, yeah, they, they're going to, I don't want to say struggle to fit Jair Alexander in to make him the highest paid corner in the NFL, but it's, it might not happen. I wouldn't be surprised if he is walking after his rookie deal. Let's move to some of the Deshaun Watson news, and we'll probably discuss the decision that ultimately happens around signing Deshaun Watson when he ultimately does sign. But the news, the latest news is that he's interested in personally invested in reaching out to the Atlanta Falcons. He has apparently reached out to them and is interested in him in, in joining with the Atlanta Falcons. He also has meetings set up with the Browns, um, Falcons and Saints. Now there was another report that came out that said he's also meeting with the Niners, but then there was a counter report that said he's not meeting with the Niners. So mm. who knows if he's meeting with the Niners or if they're keeping that behind closed doors. He's definitely from reports that we've seen meeting with the Panthers, Saints, Browns, and now I think the Atlanta Falcons. The, of those, so let's talk those through. Browns, Baker Mayfield's obviously done. I mean, they're, they're moving on from Baker Mayfield. They don't feel like he's the quarterback of the future, and they might have the space. You know, they might have the capital in the space. Dude, to make I mean, a move. is he obviously done? I don't know if he's obviously done. He's obviously done if they oh, bring if they him trade. Watson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they would flip. They would trade away Baker Mayfield to the Texans. I would imagine. <laughs> so for the Saints, they don't have a quarterback right now. They don't have a lot of draft capital either. I don't know what kind of deal they're going to put together to bring Deshaun Watson there, and they don't have the cap to do it. Right? They don't have the cap. I don't know how they fit Deshaun Watson into the room. The Panthers are in a much better position. They only have one top 100 pick, but it is the number six overall pick, and can obviously trade future first to bring in Deshaun Watson. I just don't think that's the situation he wants. And then Falcons come in. They're committed all this money to Matt Ryan. They're not in a great cap situation yeah. either. All four of the four teams that we have, I think the Browns probably are in the best position yeah. both from a draft perspective and cap perspective to actually fit Watson in. Can they do it? Will, do, will they ultimately pull the trigger? Who knows? Yes, in terms of – so obviously he's, you could say, vested in, in Atlanta because I believe he's from Georgia. Went to – is that correct? Yes, or, he's okay, from Georgia. So he went to high school in Georgia. That's So that is the Atlanta connection. The Browns is the probably the only team that's been rumored that fits his his given criteria, which is – a good old line. What was it? Good receivers and a no. It wasn't even good receivers. It was just good old line, good defense or something. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, that's like the only team rumored here that fits that criteria. And it makes a lot of sense in terms of like, if you're the Houston Texans, you can get back a guy in Baker Mayfield who you know could be your quarterback of the future. You get back a lot of draft capital because they own the 13th overall pick. That one makes a ton of sense for all parties involved. Um, 49ers are another team. If if like I said, if they are actually in the mix. That one would actually be a good landing spot for Deshaun Watson. Um, but of the other ones mentioned, it's like, yeah, the Saints are the best, but I'm not sure, like you said, the money is going to work out or if they're going to have to make 
moves to debilitate this roster and obviously already lost Marcus Williams to fit a guy like Sean Watson in. So will be interesting to monitor. Um, I wonder how long much longer it lasts, though. You know? I don't think I think it's going to happen in the next few days. I feel like with the money going out right now, you want like if you're a team doing this, you want it to happen right away. Like yeah. it has to. I don't think like it has to happen before league. Deadline. Well, that's the, the thing about the these meetings deadline. too, though. These meetings are all in Houston. He's in Houston, yeah. and they're meeting him. Like he's not flying around on these different planes yeah. to meet with these teams. They're trying to get it done as quickly as they can. So the Browns have flown into Houston. Panthers coming in. Saints coming in. Now he's reached out to Atlanta personally. It's going to ultimately. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I still feel that Cleveland's the most likely of those teams mentioned, just given the situation they're in. I just don't know how New Orleans does it. I don't know how Atlanta does it. And Carolina, I just don't know how Deshaun agrees to it. So I do think Cleveland, if I had to pick a favorite to land Deshaun Watson, based off those four teams, if those four teams are the only ones involved, I do think Cleveland ultimately gets it done. I think they are they are the best team or best position team to do it. Now we can talk about the morality of pursuing a serial predator on another podcast, but for right now, I think they're the best team to get Watson if they do make a deal done. The other things I want to call out in the catch and buzz, we'll go back to football real quickly, and then I have something I want to highlight for Friday. The Christian Kirk contract. We talked about it a little bit on yeah. the Monday podcast. It's been talked about ad nauseum on social media. It's been talked about a ton on First Take and all these different shows on TV <laughs> as the Jags are spending a lot of money, a lot of money to improve their team. And they have, according to PFF's Free Agency Improvement Index, which you can get on PFF.com, they're one of the top three improved teams purely from a war-added, PFF war-added perspective. Now, they've overpaid. You're going to have to overpay to get people to play in Jacksonville. It's a franchise that has not had a lot of success of late, even with Trevor Lawrence, even with Doug Peterson. You're going to have to overpay. What I don't understand are two of the contracts that they've made. The first one is Foye Lukin, who, yes, led the NFL in tackles last year, but has not, not graded well according to PFF, and got more guaranteed money on his contract than Fred Warner. Fred Warner signed last year yeah. a nearly a $90-plus million contract, and he got more guaranteed money. And the same day that Carlton Davis, who plays a more valuable position, you could argue is a better player at his position than Oluokun, got $30 million guaranteed, Foye gets $28 million guaranteed. That, in my opinion, makes no sense to me. I don't understand how... You're already paying Joe Schobert $10 million to play for the Steelers this year. And now you're going to pay, with Miles Jack cut this day today, you're going to pay Miles Jack $5 million to play for a different team as well. you got $15 million dumped into off-ball linebacker for players not on your team, and now $28 million guaranteed in the foyer Lucan. I just don't know how the Jaguars wrap their heads around this deal. Like, I would rather have Miles Jack on the contract he had then bringing in Foya Lukin on this new contract, specifically at off-ball linebacker, especially when compared to previous contracts they've handed out. Yeah, I, I just want to go through the Kirk deals a little bit. The actual I, I mentioned Lukin, but because, Kirk is the other one you go through Kirk. Because people, we talked about it, and people were saying, oh, it's not as bad. It's still, it's still not good. So $7.5 million cap hit this year. That, to me, was like the range I thought he would sign in. That would be like his cap hits the next three years, ideally, is what, if I were running a team, I would be willing to shell out for a receiver like Christian Kirk. However, in 2023, his cap hits $21.5 million. And they can't cut him. In 2024, his cap hits $20.5 million. And then, if they do cut him, they only get $10 million cap relief. So he's going to count $10 million against the cap in 2024. And he's probably not going to play on that number unless he makes a massive step forward in terms of his career progression that we have not seen up to this point. So... That I just wanted to talk about a little bit, and I don't want to hammer too much home on the Jaguars, but I will just say that this was probably the worst free agency I've seen in the past shit since I've started doing this. If you're a Jaguars fan, it just has to be the most demoralizing because you have Trevor Lawrence. You have 
probably you know what we've called the sort of holy grail of a quarterback and rookie deal who you think could be elite and obviously i hasn't gotten there and that's why they're making these moves to try to upgrade the offense up around him but you went into free agency with the bottom 10 receiving core and a bottom 10 offensive line you are leaving free agency with a bottom 10 receiving core and a bottom 10 offensive line period they are they have not they have not improved to a degree that is meaningful and steven ruiz had probably the most accurate tweet or how i feel about this situation the is the biggest worry to me and why you blew through all your cap space. And still, I, I believe his words were, on third down, who are you throwing to if you're Trevor Lawrence still? Who are you throwing to if you're Trevor Lawrence? Do you, who do you trust to win of these guys, of Zay Jones, of Christian Kirk, of Evan Ingram, of LaVisca Chenault, of, of Zay Jones. Jones? What? Zay Jones, too. Yeah, that's what I said, oh. Zay Jones. Of those guys, who do you trust to win? Because... None of the past, none of the past teams that are on trust of these guys to win on third downs. Yeah. That's not who they were. So, that to me is the biggest worry that you spent all this money and still don't have a difference maker. Giving Zay Jones fourteen million dollars guaranteed is absurd. Like you are paying a lot to not significantly improve your receiving core and not significantly improve Trevor Lawrence development. I think you share that on the defensive end as well. I still don't understand the Foye Luakin contract. And like you said, if they cut. Christian Kirk in 2024, it's still a $10 million cap hit. Like, that's insane. $10, $10 million in dead space. Last thing here, Andrew Whitworth retired. The writing was on the wall there for Whitworth when they signed Joseph Noteboom back. But mm -hmm. Sam tweeted this out, and some people were disagreeing with him. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. Yes. If you are not calling Andrew Whitworth a Hall of Famer, you're high. He is absolutely a Hall of Famer, not just for his peak, but for his longevity. Like, this isn't a Frank Gore versus Jamal Charles situation. Yeah. He is if Jamal Charles played as long as Frank Gore, right? Like he's been that good for that long. It's, it's, it's absurd to even, it's absurd to even welcome the thought that he's not a Hall of Famer. And that's the thing is this wasn't a guy hanging on at the end of his career, just to sort of, you know, cash checks, not saying that's what Frank Gore was doing, but Frank Gore was backup for the last, you know, handful of years that he was start in the NFL. Andrew Whitworth was a top five graded tackle this past season in the NFL. A top five grade tackle, the first left tackle in the NFL history to play at age 40. Played whatever position they wanted him to, whether with the Bengals, filled in at guard at times when they needed him to do so. Was, in my opinion, like, in my opinion, he's the first bad Hall of Famer. Uh, he was, I, I remember making the joke back when he, I didn't even joke, I, back when he signed, left the Bengals. And the Bengals, to a degree, let him sign that deal because I think they thought, you know, that was kind of, Whitworth's on the downside and I remember saying dude Whitworth with what he's doing and he was at age 35 at that point when he left the Bengals I believe I was like this dude's gonna be able to pass protect until he's 40 he just did and I didn't like actually believe he'd play until he's 40 but I just thought he'd be able to pass protect until he was 40 lo and behold Andrew Whitworth 89.8 pass blocking grade at age 40 mm -hmm. my opinion that's Hall of Fame worthy I'm with you. I'm with you 100% last thing on the catch and only buzz and then we'll get over or get into some of these latest moves in free agency I'm having a lot of people over to our house for the 4TV setup oh. for March Madness on Friday. 6.30 kick. I've already got a handful of commitments, some verbal commitments from some big names in the Cincinnati area, some celebs, some big dogs. It's going to be about 90 to 100 besides people. You? Besides me. Nice. 90 to 100 people. Um, you've already got the food covered. You said you're going to bring in wings from your country Something. club. Something yeah. from your country club. For drinks, I'm asking the chat. If we could get a poll in the chat, it'd be great. What do I get for drinks? Do I go Miller Lights and we just get like a thousand Miller Lights? Do I make some form of jungle juice? It's a 6.30 kick, 6.30 p.m. You want the pregame to be fire, but you don't necessarily want 
I, you just don't want it to be a volume situation, right? I think when you only go Miller Lights, that's more of a day drinking thing. I think you need people to get some speed into it. Um, I'm asking the chat, but what's your reaction? What, what, what do we think we ultimately go with here? I think it's just going to be beer. Honestly, I don't think we end up making anything too crazy. That's my take. Wow. So you're just fading this narrative that I have celebs coming in there expecting big things. <laughs> if they're watching basketball. And what do you drink great. when you're watching basketball? It's got to be something sick. I mean, it does not have to be something sick. All right, fine. fine. Miller Lights so We're just going to end up drinking Miller Lights. Can't believe I got all these people to come out. We're only going to be drinking Miller Lights, but fine, fine. Well, if the chat comes up with something better. If the chat comes out with something better. come for the ambiance. All right, we're going to latest moves and these are going to come from some yesterday we didn't get a touch on the previous podcast and some others i'm going to highlight some of the the more the bigger deals i thought i was actually really excited about the tim settle deal in buffalo we've been consistently mocking jordan davis or a defensive tackle to them tim settle coming tim settle coming over from washington to sign a two-year deal with the buffalo bills i've liked what the buffalo bills have done in francie i think the settle move was one i really liked as well yeah so i, I thought it would be um, Harrison Phillips, I thought they just resigned him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe they got settled for less money than, than Phillips ended up getting. In he ends up going to Minnesota. So to me, that was I don't know wash. Like you, you're getting a guy who, like I said, for less money can probably play a similar role in that space eating nose tackle middle defense, which is really all they needed. Like that's what they needed to retain sort of what they've been doing. And settle obviously has played well in not a ton of snaps and i think that's kind of maybe the worry if i am worried about it at all is that you really haven't seen him on a full-time role you haven't seen settle play like i said the full compliment like be a starter in your defense and how he's going to fare in that but for the money 4.5 mil a year it's no brainer no with with a team with limited space yeah i like the move this was an interesting move. I thought he was for sure coming back to Cincinnati, but the New York Jets are signing C.J. Uzama, tight end from the Cincinnati Bengals, a guy that famous, famously but hurt his leg on their playoff run, but was still able to play in the Super Bowl. Three-year, $24 million deal for the Jets. Chris Collinsworth, the big dog up top, one of the guys that is coming Friday, spoiler alert. Chris Collinsworth said he liked the move for the Jets, had talked to him on his podcast before. C.J. Uzama, your thoughts on that deal for New York? Yeah, I, I thought it was a deal that they were going to get done. They were going to target a tight end in free agency. Like we said, there weren't a lot they really wanted to target. But I think Uzama, at least an athletic dude, at least can create some after the catch, which is something that they could use in that offense. And that, that offense takes advantage of. I mean, you think about how often um, you go to the, the Packers offense. And how often they got even like Mercedes Lewis the ball in space in that offense. It's something that I think they could utilize and it's something that, like I said, there isn't a lot of guys in the draft that have. Like a, lot of, a lot of sort of placeholders in this draft, not a lot of yak dudes in this draft. And Uzama is one. Two moves from the Los Angeles Chargers I wanted to highlight. I know that we talked a lot about the J.C. Jackson move, but they had former Giants defensive tackle Austin Johnson in addition to Sebastian Joseph Day, the defensive tackle from the Los Angeles Rams. Some are saying this isn't ruling out Jordan Davis at 17, but do you think that they're adding two defensive tackles, specifically Sebastian Joseph Day, do they lock into what I think they should do, wide receiver at 17? I don't think anyone should ever lock into anything at fair, the draft. Fair, Unless no, you have fair. the number one overall pick. Then, by all means, lock away. Lock in. But you got to be agile. Mm-hmm. Draft's all about being on your toes and adapting to whatever's thrown your way. So if the board falls to where you got five receivers off the board by the time you're picking, very unlikely. But if it does, I don't think you should lock into wide receiver in this draft class. But 
I do think if you sign a guy like Sebastian Joseph Day, who is himself a good run defender, along with, like you said, Austin Johnson, which was kind of my recommendation for agency, mm-hmm. not one, but two, to make sure Jerry Tillery ain't playing 850 snaps next year. Yep. So I like the moves by them. But they, like I said, they could still go Jordan Davis. There's nothing stopping me. Those two contracts ain't stopping me from, if I think Jordan Davis is going to be an elite nose tackle, drafting a guy like Jordan Davis. Because, again, it's not like your run defense was only you know, these couple players away on the interior. And defensive interior, they rotate. So, yeah, I, I think they still have a number of options. But this does open the door for Jameson Williams big time, and I would love him in that offense. Sebastian Joseph Day, former six-round pick in 2018 out of Rutgers, has played over 400 snaps in each of the last three seasons and has also earned a 60-plus PFF run defense grade. He's 27 years old, going to Los Angeles Rams. Where he signed, he signed a deal at three years, I believe it was three years, three years, $24 million with $15 million guaranteed. I think that's high praise coming from Staley, obviously who Staley, who worked with Sebastian Joseph Day in Los Angeles before. Raiders signed Zay Jones. We talked about that a bit. I cannot believe it was Jaguars. a three- no, sorry, no, not Raiders. Um, Jaguar signs A. Jones. We talked about that a bit on the Catch and Early Buzz, but he got a three-year deal with a $24 million base, but up to 30 mil and $14 million guaranteed. I still do not understand that contract. I don't understand how you're taking castaway receivers from the Raiders and paying them a ton of money. Like, they were already struggling and already had a need at receiver, even if Zay Jones was coming back. He, so last year, he signed a one-year $2.5 million deal. What exactly did he do with the Raiders to make you think I mean, I get that he was flashed in stretches, 500, over 500 yards last year. But that was, like, after they lost literally everyone else at wide receiver. <laughs> like, he's your yeah. number one option. So what did he exactly do to bump his price tag up threefold like that? I don't know. But here we are. I'm, I'm floored by that decision by Jacksonville. I don't think <clears> – <throat> you know, we talked a lot about – defensive line specifically defensive tackle when we talk about offensive lines like add volume there go get two guys go increase the floor i don't think the receiving core is like that like your receiving core you need weapons you need calling cards you need guys that can come in and have a way that they can win you don't want to raise the floor of your receiving core you need actual playmakers yeah. like you need guys that actually can create plays it doesn't matter if you have three four and that that group is deep you need guys that can actually win like you said on third down yes. yeah. as steven ruiz the analyst from the ringer said Yes, that's what I mean. That's what I say too. Like you, you, that's what you want at the receiver position because those are the guys. Those are the guys that move the needle. It's like again, if you don't have those guys, you will get man coverage to death. And no, and if you don't have guys that are going to separate, you're not going to have answers. You're just not going to have answers. Chukwuma Okorafor signed a three-year, twenty-nine point two five million dollar deal with the off the tackle to stay with Pittsburgh. They also signed James Daniels to what I thought was one of the more impressive deals. It was a three-year deal with only $8 million guaranteed, and it's all in the first year. So they can move yeah. on from James Daniels if things need to happen. I wonder what that is. What, what's driving that, right? You rarely see three-year deals where it can, com, can completely cut bait. But two moves to the Pittsburgh Steelers along the offensive line. Chukuma, core four, three years, $29.25 million. And then they add James Daniels, the former Bears, into your offensive lineman for, on a three-year deal as well. They also signed Mason Cole. Oh, that's right. It was like two years, 10, 10 mil or something like that. I can't remember exact numbers, but thrown cash. Now, the Daniels deal I like. I like. To me, that's an actual upgrade, and I think he plays center there. You can move Kendrick Green back to guard where he played in college mainly, even if maybe his frame's not ideal for a guard, but he didn't look great at center last year is the other problem. The Okorafor deal, man, I, 
the way it's set up though, so three years, 30, it's more of like a one year, $5 million, and then they can kind of get out of it with a little cap penalty in 2023 if he doesn't take a big step forward. But he was a guy who was young coming out of Western Michigan, um, build as a project, has improved to a degree. So they're betting on you know what he can keep building and what he can keep doing. But he was part of the problem last year. <laughs> you know, like he was not. So this was this is kind of set up like the the Fant deal with the Jets a couple mm-hmm. years back when they signed him, where it's like it's really not as bad as it sounds unless he really takes a big step forward and they want him to play year three of this contract, which is going to take which is going to cost them a little bit more at that point. So not awful deals for the Steelers. They're still, like I said, even with Daniels, who I who I think is a big upgrade. I think they're still a still bottom ten O line, sadly. On to the Minnesota Vikings signing Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle from the Bills, three-year, $19.5 million deal. I know you thought Buffalo might re-sign Harrison Phillips, but instead the Vikings signed Harrison Phillips. They also cut Michael Pierce. Mm -hmm. Michael Pierce was cut, the other uh, interior defensive lineman there for Minnesota. Harrison Phillips actually graded really well last year, and his PFF war, according to Eric Eager, is something that's improved every year of his career, dating back to his rookie season. This past year, a 75.2 PFF grade and a career high, 25 total pressures, buying in to Harrison Harrison Phillips on a relatively cheap deal, right? Three years, 19 and a half million for Harrison Phillips, I think is impressive at just 26 years old. I think that's a smart move for Minnesota. Yeah, I like, I, I mean, I liked him. That's so why I thought the Bills would resign him. I thought he's one of the best run defenders available here in free agency. And now this is kind of a product. We were saying, you know, Vikings, not a great cap situation. They got some relief with the Kirk Cousins restructure, I guess, or extension or whatever, but not a great cap situation, but they really had, not a lot of options here if once they were going to cut Pierce because they were going to cut Pierce. So next to Dalvin Tomlinson, they didn't really have anybody. So now they now they got a stout little three-man front in terms of Harrison Phillips, Dalvin Tomlinson, Daniel Hunter in terms of stopping the run. Obviously still need edge. That could be where they had come draft time. Panthers offensive line is in a pit of misery and as they make a move for Deshaun Watson and try and show that it's not that bad they added former Los Angeles Rams guard a second rounder for them Austin Corbett on a three-year 29.25 million dollar deal over the past two years Corbett 73.4 PFF grade in 2020 69.6 PFF grade in 2021 a lot of that being from his run blocking this is not an awful move for Carolina and we rarely say that in the offseason with the Carolina Panthers I think adding Corbett um, 29.25 million maybe you overpaid there but I think you're going to have to uh, I think that's another that that is one of few strong moves we can speak to with the Carolina Panthers this offseason and last I, I don't really love it I'll be honest really yeah. You don't like the Corbett move? No. I mean, he's, he had a 63.8 pass block grade. He's never been a good pass protector. Like, I think he's Browns terrible, though. They have terrible them. offensive linemen. The Browns got rid of him because of that in the first place. And not that the, like, the Browns were not guard needy, and that's probably why they ended up getting rid of him in the first place. But they for them to flip a 33, the 33rd overall pick as quickly as they did, I don't know. I, I mean, they obviously saw something drafting thirty third overall, but I still don't think he's the missing piece that all of a sudden that O line the pass protection is going to take a mass step forward. Can we talk for a second? Because I don't think we talked a lot about this team yesterday. Um, Houston Texans. Okay. Two year, ten and a half million dollar deal for AJ Khan, Can, former Jaguars interior offensive lineman. A two year, nine million dollar deal for Justin Britt, and a two year, seventeen million dollar deal for Millie Collins. They're doing it again. Are they, they're doing it again, right? They're doing it again. They're just they, and Justin Reed, the safety. We're going to talk about that move later. But he signs with the Chiefs. Like, are they adding or upgrading anywhere? Are they just buying into the tank? 
I don't understand what the Houston Texans are doing. And the thing is, now, I believe Can was like a free agent, right? So they're yeah, they're nixing comp picks by signing these. Same guys. with Britt. I mean, they brought, but they brought back Justin Britt. I mean, he was their center last year. Well, I'm saying he was the center, but like they're nixing the comp pick by signing someone from a different team. Gotcha. So, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like you got to have players in that roster, obviously, and they didn't have a ton of draft picks in recent years to fill it out. But lipstick—it's lipstick on a pig. It's borderline not even lipstick, though. Is yeah, it they're lipstick? Just, it's just bad. It's—I don't know. I just, I'm just not even worth talking about. The Texans right now just—they're still misery. three years away. All right, Denver Broncos signed a 27-year-old defensive tackle. We'll get to their other move they made today, which is hilarious. But they signed DJ Jones over from the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he's been earned a career-high 73.7 PFF grade this past year. He's only 27 years old, former sixth-round pick out of Ole Miss. DJ Jones, impressive run defender, has never been an, a world-beater as a pass rusher, but still had 24 pressures last year. Your thoughts on that move for Denver? I think it was a three-year, $30 million deal for DJ Jones. I really like it. Uh, $20 million fully guaranteed, too. They are investing. In this guy. Yeah, so he flips Shelby Harris and the Russell Wilson deal, obviously. And to me, at this point in his career, I'd rather have DJ Jones than Shelby Harris. I think he can be more of an impactful guy. He's a guy who can get into opposing teams' backfields and can play true nose tackle in that defense. So I really like that deal. And shit, I really like the Randy Gregory deal. Yeah. Probably my favorite in free agency so far. That one, for what he put on tape last year. And now I get he's 29 years old. I get he's had suspensions in the past um, with uh, marijuana suspensions, which is not a banned substance anymore. So, like, that's not even a, an issue. Like, yeah. you're not even worried about that if you're Denver and make all the jokes you want about it being legal there. You can do it all he wants if he wants to. On the field last year, this guy, if you were just isolating his performance, would be a 20-plus million dollar edge rusher from what he put on tape. Was 20-plus million dollars worthy. And that was his first real season in the NFL. Like, that was his first full actual season of playing time. And, yeah, again, he's 29 years old, so his sort of curve, career, art, mm -hmm. whatever, is all messed up. You don't know what you're maybe you're necessarily going to get. But if you get what you saw last year on tape, he is worth probably double that contract um, in terms of actual impact on your roster. So, man. Randy Gregory, that that to me, what the Broncos have done this offseason, George Patton, gold star, hell, hell, of a, hell of an offseason for them. Randy Gregory signed a, I think it was a five-year, $70 million deal with the Dallas Cowboys, or agreed to a five-year, $70 million deal with the Dallas Cowboys. And then, according to Charles Robinson of... <clears throat> According to Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, he said the reason Randy Gregory reversed to the Broncos on literally the same figures, five years, 70 mil, was at the last moment the Dallas Cowboys were, quote-unquote, tinkering with the contract language. And in that moment, Denver swooped in and said, we'll give it to you with whatever, probably with whatever language you want, yeah. right? We're going to bring you over, obviously trying to replace the pass rush that they need since Von Miller left. That is wildly impressive by the Denver Broncos front office to kind of smell that, right? To say, hey, because I'm sure Gregory and his agent had multiple offers in that tier, right? And they ultimately signs to go back with the Dallas Cowboys because they're offering something that others are offering. Mm -hmm. Then, in the ninth hour, or whatever that expression is, the 11th hour, hour. they tinker, tinker with the language. He says, Denver, how about you swing back? I'm ready to rock and roll. That's impressive. Impressive by Denver to get Randy Gregory for all yeah. the reasons that you said, too. Yeah, for Dallas to be... 
when they had already inked some really nice team-friendly deals in the Gallup deal, the Marcus Lawrence deal, to be haggling over language and get because the Demarcus Ooh. Lawrence deal was absurd. Getting it's the Demarcus so Lawrence deal is insane. Yeah, three years, forty mil with thirty million guaranteed is such an impressive deal yeah. for Demarcus Lawrence, a guy who's worth way more of that in my opinion. And then you get Randy Gregor, who's going to be close to his thirteen and a half million dollar mark, and you can't even get that deal done. That would have been massive to, for the Dallas Cowboys to basically run back what was a top five defense by the end of the year last year. To be able to run that back with their cap situation was impressive, and even. Like considering how many young players are on that roster potentially get better next year with DeMarcus Lawrence playing feasibly being healthy and playing more. To have that opportunity and then have it get it taken away from you like that was, I mean, nothing short of embarrassing if you're the Dallas Cowboys brass. That's just not something you want to look your fan base in the eye and say, we effed up. Not at all. <clears throat> Before we get to some of these other moves, I want to talk about the Justin Reed contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. Traverius Ward signing a $42 million deal with the San Francisco 49ers. Reminder that this podcast is brought to you by presenting sponsor is Manscaped. Can I get a round of applause? Today I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra premium collection. Believe it or not, it is not for your private parts. I'm talking about leveled up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe. Manscaped, trust them below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. I'll recommend using the products in this order. Hop in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Then lather up your hair with the 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner to keep your noggin what? Your noggin togging. Dry off and spray your with the hydrating, hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Put the Manscaped deodorant on for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. Getting dressed after is optional. Wear one great scent all day long. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with, with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That, the power of attraction is now in the bottle. Thanks to Manscaped. One scent all day long. Mike, you're welcome. You're welcome that this podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. Texan sign, no. Chiefs signed former Texan safety Justin Reed to a three-year $31.5 million deal, $20 million guaranteed, essentially a two-year $20 million, or two-year $20 million deal with 10 per. But that essentially ends the Tyron Matthew era. I actually really like this signing for the Kansas City Chiefs. Justin Reed's a hell of a player, and I'm yeah. happy that he's getting out of Houston. Yes, and another player where, like, his grade took a little bit of a step back last year, but it's, it's kind of like the Derek Stingley thing in LSU. It's like, can you blame him? Like, he went from a team that was con in the playoffs for a couple of years with a lot going well for him to the worst mess in the NFL. Worst mess in, since I've been following the NFL in terms of just what that was on that roster. It just had to be a drain showing up to work every single day to that team. So... You're getting a play like from what you saw his first, second, third years in the NFL, he would have been the trajectory he was on was a lot was a contract worth a lot more than that. So love that move if you're the Kansas State Chiefs. Because Tyron Matthews not gonna be in that ballpark. He is going to be five plus million dollars above that ballpark, in my, if I were to guess. The Jaguars, former Jaguars receiver DJ Chark intends to sign a one-year deal with the Detroit Lions. It ended up being a one-year $10 million deal, essentially a prove-it deal for a guy that has not played a lot of football of late. I like that deal a lot for Detroit. I honestly like that deal a lot for DJ Chark. That's the deal you want, right? Mm -hmm. Getting a deal where you're getting a, you know $10 million guaranteed, 
in an opportunity where you can prove if you want to get this like big money multi-year extension. I think that's exactly where DJ Chark ends up. I think Marcus Valdez-Scantling could end up similar. And I also think Will Fuller will get something similar as well. Maybe not up to that Chark number, but still, I think that's a strong move for Detroit. It's not committing. It wasn't a four-year, $5 million deal for a receiver that hasn't played a lot, but instead a prove-it deal um, for him in Detroit. Yeah, they could really revamp this receiving court because Chark's an outside receiver. You got Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot. And now pick 32, pick 30, what is it, four that they have in the second round could be a wide receiver pick, and all of a sudden you got three deep. That's night and day from what you had last year. So really like that deal, and I really like the Charles Harris deal. Two years, $14 million for a guy that I said I was buying into the resurgence he had this past year, career high, former first-round pick of the Miami Dolphins way back when, 78.7 pass rushing grade this past year, by far and away a career high, and he was like a starter for them, 871 snaps. Like I I was surprised there wasn't a bigger market for this guy because, like I said, I was buying into it, and I think with him on the roster – Romeo Aquara on the roster, Julian Aquara on the roster. Lions ain't going edge of two. Kayvon Thibodeau ain't number two overall. Vane Hutchinson goes number one overall, which is now like everyone has that as the betting favorite. It ain't going to be Kayvon. It's going to be, and it ain't going to be an OT either. With the OTs they got, I wouldn't think. That'd be crazy to me if they drafted, you know, like an Ike Aquanu to then start at guard for a few years. So you think they're locking in on Hamilton? So I wonder if it's going to be Hamilton. I wonder if it could be Malik Sauce Willis. Gardner. I wonder if it could be Malik Willis. I know you keep floating the Malik Willis because we were in the same conversation at the Combine, but we were also told not to talk about that. So That's true. <laughs> but, I mean, Malik Willis also is being mocked as the number two overall pick yeah. by a lot of people now. I think a lot of people are in that same conversation, Mike. That thing got spread like wildfire. I know. I know. But uh, I, I still do wonder. I, I still – I still don't buy it. I still still buy it. I'll say that. You don't buy Malik Willis, number two overall. All right, fine. You weren't supposed to talk about that, Mike. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a trade this morning, 8.41 a.m. Player for player trade, which you rarely see in the NFL. Chase Winovich, who I did interview for the Hutch podcast. Hutch podcast is going to be releasing April 2022. Excited for that. I got Aiden flying in on Monday to sit down with me to go through that pod, which is going to be great. But Chase Winovich former Patriots edge defender is being traded to the Browns for Mac Wilson. Any major takeaways from this trade? No, Winnow, we'll actually talk about him a little bit later here. Sadly, hernia last offseason, pulls his hammy early in the season, never really makes an impact, never really after like a, a pretty good year one and year two with the New England Patriots. So that's it, a deal I like if I'm the Cleveland Browns because Mac Wilson was not factoring in to your plans going forward. Yeah, yeah no um, spot on that roster, spot on the field there for that team. So, yeah, I, I really like the deal from the Browns' perspective. See uh, see if that means an end of the Dante Hightower era, though, in New England. Some other deals to touch on here, some low-end deals. Raiders signed Darius Phillips, the cornerback return man for the Cincinnati Bengals. Just a one-year, $2.25 million deal, nothing to break the bank on. Martravius Adams is going back to the Steelers on a two-year, $5 million contract again. That's bottom feeder season. Dolphins resigning Preston Williams. Connor Williams, though who I think we had as a top 60 player on our free agency board is signing with the Miami Dolphins, kind of the exact area where they need to be. They need some veteran talent along yeah. that offensive line, like they need air to breathe. Yeah, it's a move we said to make. You mm-hmm. know? And we said to make probably two. You would like to get a tackle as well in the fold there just to raise the floor. Because yeah. as much as Connor Williams struggled last year, he's still 25. He was an early guy, early declarey coming out of Texas when he fell the second round. Had started at tackle at Texas, never played guard, plays guard, the Cowboys. I think that there's still like 
chance he turns into a good football player. And even if he's the guy you saw last year, it's still better than any of the guards they had on their roster for Miami. So he makes that move 10 times out of 10. On to a handful of other moves here. We highlighted the James Daniels move. Malik Hooker is staying in Dallas on a two-year $8 million deal. We said that the Jacksonville Jaguars did cut Miles Jack. Hearing uh, the next big move was Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams, former New Orleans Saints, former New Orleans Saints safety, is signing a monster five-year, seventy million dollar deal. The same money Randy Gregory's getting, p- playing a more valuable position to sign with the Baltimore Ravens. My initial reaction to this move was, "That's a lot of money." But we've talked about a ton on this podcast and other podcasts as well about how the safety market could be going up and the safety value could be going up. This a definitely a testament to that. Yeah, and Marcus Williams has been consistently adopting safety like every year of his career came in hit the ground running and yeah he had the awful play against the vikings whatever long gone by this point uh, distant memory but he is still like i said a top 10 safety in the ravens with what they covet how they set up the defense now it might obviously be different this year with wink martindale gone but still they covet secondary players and he is a versatile secondary player and one of the better deep true deep safeties um, in the NFL. So it's just the Ravens MO. I mean, we've said that the safety market we think is depressed in terms of there's value, no matter basically who you're signing in terms of what they're bringing to the table. So we're going to like safety moves for agency. Signing a guy like Marcus Williams, I'm a fan. I didn't mention this signing with the Houston Texans, and I apologize for it. MJ Stewart signed a one year, $3 million deal with Houston. Well, you didn't say that. That's on me. That's on Come me. On. Putting that more. Completely changed. I mean, that's just putting mud on a pig, really, is what we're getting to. They're just signing a bottom, bunch of bottom feeder contracts, not spending big. I don't know when they're going to have this resurgence, right? I don't know if it's Baker Mayfield coming over. I don't know because they're not going to be good anytime soon. That's just flat out. They're not going to be good anytime soon. Deshaun Watson is not going to play for that football team, and they don't have really any good players playing for that football team. Justin Reed out. I think Brandon Cooks could be traded. Larry Tunsil could be traded. There is not a lot of building blocks in Houston right now. That is yeah. obviously I, concerning. And, and I do think I do think you roll in with Davis Mills next year. Yeah. I just do. Like as much as I thought, you know, they were for sure a quarterback team this year, and I didn't love the Davis Mills pick. You don't like Davis Mills isn't that much worse than the quarterbacks in this class. And if you just a minor upgrade at that position with the roster they have right now, you just need talent. So if I'm them, I'm begging someone, pleading, someone let me trade down with you. (laughs) Like, give me more draft picks. I think should be their basically operating slogan from now till probably 2024 at the very least in terms of they just need to replenish that roster. And they're doing it with these minuscule free agent deals that they keep signing because they have to. But at some point, you want those to be rookie deal guys developing into good players. A couple running back deals. J.D. McKissick, veteran from coming over from the Washington Commander, signs with the Buffalo Bills. Impressed with that move. I do like the Buffalo Bills adding some veteran talent to that running back room. Definitely better receiver than any of the backs they had there. Yes, 100%. Oh, not not even close. Zach – Moss and Singletary. Yeah, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, not the receivers you're looking for. J.D. McKissick immediately comes in and offers that for them. Patriots, as if it was ever in doubt, re-signed – James White to a two-year, $2.5 million deal. Only 500000 guaranteed for James White, who's obviously nearing the end of his career and interest level in the NFL. Only 500000 guaranteed. McKissick getting much more than that. A couple of running back deals there. Josie Jewell resigned with the Denver Broncos. Charles Harris, we've already mentioned that. I think the next one I wanted to highlight was um, the Jets just now signing 
Jordan Whitehead. Whitehead. Jordan Whitehead, only 25 years older, turns 25 in the next month here, coming over from the uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the New York Jets, a starter for New York in the secondary. Does that push them further and further away from Kyle Hamilton at four overall? No, because I, I think they're letting Marks May go, I would think, at this point. Um, they have still have Ashton Davis there. Kyle Hamilton's the type of player that I'm not sure – I'm sure it matters if you have two safeties. You're still probably going to draft. Like, you either want him enough or you don't because um, he can play anywhere in your defense. So I'm not sure it does, but I, I do think with this class, they might be prioritizing edge first with that fourth overall pick. That could be a Thibodeau. That could be a Trayvon Walker um, before they go anywhere else because of just what that defense needs. I mean, it needs pass rushers. It needs a four-man rush to get everything done. So I, I think that's where they end up going. I'm excited to announce also the Detroit Lions bring back Khalif Raymond. Bang. Wide receiver. I, this Detroit, the Detroit Lions and Houston Texans are so difficult to talk about in free agency because there's just not much they're going to do to improve this roster. Yeah, it's like, hey, solid signing. That It's like one-year deal for Chark. You, you would hope he plays well and like wants to stay there. It's like is your hope that like the guys buy into the culture and want to stay there is what you're hoping with these guys. The next part of this podcast I want to get into was an early look at some of the draft props you can currently can we talk about. Travis Ward, three years. Oh, 40? I missed. I missed Travis Ward. Travis Ward, three years, forty-two point something. Forty point five million. Forty point five million dollar deal to sign with the San Francisco 49ers, which is not that dissimilar to what J.C. Yeah. Jackson got for Los Angeles Chargers. I didn't realize Ward's market was that significant. He does have a lot of experience playing in press coverage with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I remember talking to multiple receivers in the NFL, bringing up his name, or I think it was another cornerback, bringing up his name among some of the better cornerbacks, young cornerbacks in the mm-hmm. NFL. Charvarius Ward earning a massive payday. So Charvarius is a unique sort of cornerback. He's big dude. Big, long. He, he is a press corner. So he's not graded particularly well in PFF system because, one, penalties. Two, like, he has a penchant for getting toasted. Like, it's, he is a boomer bust sort of corner. Trayvon Diggs. To, to a degree, but, like, more like he locked down a guy at the line of scrimmage because he's very good at the line of scrimmage. So I'm very curious to see how this 49ers defense is set up because Ambry Thomas coming out of Michigan, the guy who's – I assume he's going to be their starter across from him. Played really well down the stretch. He's a press cornerback. But they didn't do a ton of that in Debecca Ryan's defense um, last season. So maybe seeing a little bit more in San Francisco because that's the kind of personnel they're coveting here, obviously, with signing like that. So it was a deal that I thought San Francisco, they needed a cornerback. I thought maybe Stefan Gilmore was the path that they were going to take. But I'm not arguing with this move either. I think that's... Again, I think the corner and safety markets right now are a little low that I would have been the teams that have signed these guys I would be pleased with if I'm one of the fa- fans of one of those teams. We also didn't mention the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did sign Russell Gage, former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, and that's not all that significant for the Bucs. I think he's a, you know, a competent mm-hmm. player, a veteran player for Tampa Bay. But what that does lead the Falcons with, with Calvin Ridley suspended, Julio Jones not walking through that door, their receiver room is Olamide Zacchaeus, Christian Blake, yeah. Frank Darby, Chad Hansen. Braden Lenius and Austin Trammell. That is barren. Yeah. And if they're getting phone calls or IG DMs from Deshaun Watson, you're, you're, you can't be all that thrilled you, if you're Watson with that receiver room. I, I mean, yes, you have Kyle Pitts, but I don't think their offensive line is top caliber, and their receiving room is barren as hell. And they have a lot of money dumped into Matt Ryan. I, I honestly think this Atlanta Falcons, Deshaun Watson stuff is such a pipe dream. I don't, think they ha- I don't see how they get it done. And even if they do, I don't see how it pans out. Yeah, I don't know. That 
I will say I really like Russell Gage as a player. I, I thought he's – I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I, I think he's a better player than Christian Kirk, like on tape. Like he's definitely more like an elusive, loose guy after the catch. Um, so for the Bucks side of things, Falcons side of things, I don't know. It's still a mess. We'll, we'll talk about the Falcons when like they figure this shit all out. But for the Bucks side of things, I think it's a great deal for them. Uh, do you get a proven guy like that who's can actually win – He's probably better suited for the slot, but I think he can win on the outside as well a little bit. It's a little more sudden, so and definitely just more reliable than your what Tyler Johnson was for them. Sadly, I think that's going to be it for the moves for now. If another major move breaks, I will definitely announce it live mm-hmm. here on the podcast. But let's get to these props. I want to get to these markets that you can bet on on DraftKings. DraftKings, another sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast, in addition to Western Southern. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Some of these markets here. First quarterback off the board. I still think there's value on Malik Willis, even though he's the betting favorite. Malik Willis is only minus 175 to be the first quarterback off the board. For comparison, Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan defensive end, is minus 400 that he's the first overall pick. And I think there's more uncertainty, at least when you talk to people, about what the Jaguars are doing at number one overall than there is if Malik Willis is going to be the first quarterback off the board. I think at minus 175, that is a market I'm laying into, even with the juice. I 100% agree. I think I, I would be floored if it's anyone else right now at this point. The only other quarterback in this market right now that's even remotely close to what Malik Willis is at minus 175 is the Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett at plus 195 Mm -hmm. every quarterback after that either plus 1500 that's Howell and Matt Corral or plus 2500 that's Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter who right now I do know is Nate Tice in the Bleach Report scouting department's QB1 I do think a lot of people some people really high on Desmond Ritter as the best quarterback in this class but it's just so here's my reasoning and now I'm not super high on Malik Willis but Again, all it takes is one in the NFL draft. And it's of these guys, you will flip on the tape, and it's who has the most, who has the thing that a team, so you're just like, and it's going to be a team in the top 10, top 10, 12 picks. Who has the thing that a team could fall in love with? So you flip on Kenny Pickett's tape, and it's solid. There's not a lot of bad to go around, but I'm not sure what you're falling in love with, especially if you go back any sort of years on Kenny Pickett's tape and watch 2020, watch 2019, stuff like that. You're kind of just like, Come away. Like, he could probably start in the NFL. Sure. But what am I falling in love with? To draft a guy that highly. With Malik Willis, that's very evident what you can fall in love with. There are a lot of things on his tape that it's an NFL evaluator can talk themselves into very easily to say, like I said, the Lions, number two overall, whether it's the Panthers, number six overall, to say, yeah, let's pull that trigger, get our guy. So to me, this market, like I said, I still do think there's value on Malik. How about wide receiver? Right now, I think the market open is Drake London. The USC wide receiver is the favorite uh, or the leading favorite and first receiver off the board. But now that has flipped to Garrett Wilson. Ohio State receiver is plus 100 to be the first receiver off the board. After that, Drake London plus 175. James Williams plus 750. Traylon Burks plus 800. So essentially a two-horse race between Garrett Wilson of Ohio State and Drake London of USC. I still think there's value on London at plus 175. I am leaning into London as the wide receiver one in this class. I think he meets more thresholds. Now, 
The Pro Day could be interesting. We've heard some people talk about maybe a 4.8 from Drake London at USC's Pro Day or whatever it may be, really concerned with his speed. But I think he'll he'll ultimately test well enough to where I think after USC's Pro Day, that number switches a bit. I don't think he's plus 175 after his Pro Day. I think he clocks a threshold-beating number like a 4.6 or something along those lines that ultimately puts him as the first wide receiver off the board in many people's eyes. Yes, I, I, I just I have to agree. Like, I... NFL is obviously historically coveted size at the receiver position. Like a guy like Garrett Wilson, who's 183 pounds. And yeah, he has very good tape, but so does Drake London. And Drake London has him by damn near 40 pounds. And is a guy who, you know, for Garrett Wilson, we're saying, you know, versatile usage can be a slot, can be an outside, but may not be, whereas but like you're kind of going to have to figure out this role for him to a degree. Whereas Drake Leonard, we're just saying like you put him at X receiver and whatever you want him to do, he does. So uh, to me, he's the more universal sort of fit. And then you start to look at which teams could be in the wide receiver market that are drafting, you know, top 10 or so. I I don't think the Giants picks five and seven are going to be drafting a wide receiver. You're not going to see any in the top five. Carolina, no. Atlanta, you could see at number eight overall. And what would Atlanta want? They would want. They are the one team that maybe could go, I could see going Garrett Wilson over Drake London because Drake London and Kyle Pitts similarly built and maybe similar usage. Maybe you want Kyle Pitts to be your Drake London. That's about the only one there because then the Jets at 10 are the next team to do one. They already have an Elijah Moore. It's very similar to Garrett Wilson. They're not going to be drafting Garrett Wilson. Washington, probably not going wide receiver. Minnesota could be looking wide receiver. Cleveland. They're obviously market for wide receiver at this point still, but they're looking for X, outside guy, number one wide receiver, possession guy. That would be Drake London. So to me, I do still think the value is on Drake London. It shouldn't be that. It should be more neck and neck than plus 100 versus plus 175. I'm with you. I'm with you. Bet Drake London plus 175, DraftKings Sportsbook. RB1 here, first running back off the board. Brees Hall, Iowa State, who had a stellar combine, Mm -hmm. is minus 200 to be the first running back off the board. I know PFF's really high on Kenneth Walker, who didn't have a bad combine himself, the Michigan State running back. He's plus 175 to be the first running back off the board. And then Isaiah Spiller of Texas A&M at plus 650. Are you laying in at all to Kenneth Walker, plus 175, even just a sprinkle, a unit or two? Or is Brees Hall really a lock to be the first running back off the board? I, I don't think he's a lock by any means, but I do think he will be. And it's because of the pass pro with Kenneth Walker. Like, it, it was bad. And you look at NFL evaluators – they are going to care about that. They are going – they're drafting a running back, and where these guys are going to go is probably second round, somewhere top 50 to top 60 picks. And when you're using that valuable of a pick, you're going to give him the ball a lot, and you want him to play a big role in your offense. And if he's not going to pass protect, you're going to worry about the role he's going to play in your offense. So, yeah, I do tend to lean towards Brees Hall, but it's not a lock by any means because as a pure runner, like with the ball in their hands, K-Walk's – the better player, in my opinion. Get up. is more, more dynamic. So, I definitely – it's going to be one of those two, though. I, if it's Isaiah Spiller or literally any other running back in this class, I will be utterly floored. It is one of those two. Next on our list is offensive line. I was surprised at these odds. Right mm-hmm. now, Ike Aquano, the NC State offensive tackle, is minus 120 to be the first offensive lineman off the board. Evan Neal at plus 105, who was, honestly, the betting favorite to be number one overall pick before – um, the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise tag Cam Robinson and Aiden Hutchinson now the favorite at minus 400. And then you have Charles Cross plus 1,000, Trevor Penning plus 1,600. It's really a two-horse race between Iquanu and Neal. 
how you know, why do you think that is right i think people are people are looking at houston as an option say if houston does keep laramie tunsil maybe they lock into a right tackle nikki aquanu but i don't know I, I don't understand why there is even that gap i would expect this to have been like minus 115 minus 115 like i don't think anyone knows really where teams are leaning right now i don't see why there is such a dramatic lean i mean it's not dramatic minus 120 plus 105 but like why there is even any lean towards nikki aquanu right now i agree i think if i'm betting anyone and again this is probably you're thinking texans third overall is where you're someone's coming off the board more than likely uh or the jets four overall i'm leaning neil for both of those teams. yeah yeah i agree and neil's history at right tackle would play for the jets because that's obviously where he would slot in there uh even with the texans right now with laramie tunsil in the fold if they haven't if they don't trade him that's where he's slotting in there so for me neil should be the favorite because again at this point i think we're confident saying he's not going number one after the cam robinson tag not going to because they have two established starters there. So you're talking about two teams that would need a right tackle. You probably lean towards the guy who's played right tackle. The the value here. So I so I like Neil for just saying who's number one. The guy I think is a dark horse though that I could see a team falling in love with is Trevor Penning at plus sixteen hundred. That if there were, if there was an off the wall selection, if there was like a Dion Jordan esque pick in this draft where it's like holy shit that guy just went you know Houston Texans number three overall. Jets number four of that guy just went there it would be Trevor Penning because of his combine all-time story combine for an off line position like we're talking about freaks in this class Quanu Neal Penning there he's right there like there is no there's not much of a difference in terms of what he can do physically and what those guys can do physically like I said from a sort of testing power explosiveness whatever perspective you want at 325 pounds Penning is a monster and his tape the dude's son of a bitch like an absolute asshole that offensive line coaches evaluators will fall in love with so i I believe trevor penning probably ends up top 10 and like i said at plus 1600 it it would not on draft day if trevor penning's like the third overall pick i'm not going to be there being like holy shit how'd that just happen i'd be like i could see it even money or plus 105 for evan neal's where i lay the bet and maybe you do half unit on trevor penning ultimately but cross i mean aquano at minus 120 i just don't think there's value there i don't think there's value in aquano at minus 120 cornerback sauce is far and away winning this one minus 300 to be the first cornerback off the board that's mod garner of cincinnati Derek stingley at plus 200 and then trent mcduffie at plus 1200 do you see at any chance that stingley your guy your cb1 overtakes sauce as the first corner off the board I could. So talk about realistic landing spots here. Jets at four, Giants five or seven. Who would they probably – the Jets would obviously covet Sauce. If they were picking a cornerback, it would be a Sauce in my opinion. Now, if it's the Giants five or seven, I think it's a conversation. I could see them leaning either way. I think that's more of a toss-up. The one team that's interesting to me, though, is then Atlanta at eight. I think they would probably lean Stingley, honestly. So – I, I don't I, I do think ultimately it probably is Sauce Gardner that's the first cornerback off the board. But Stingley at plus two hundred to me is not bad value. I still think someone could buy into the talent level. Like I I, I do think it's close. But yeah. I, I I don't think it's a lock that Sauce goes the way I think it's a lock that like, I feel more confident with Malik Willis being the first quarterback selected than I do Sauce Gardner being the first quarterback. And the difference so. is there is Malik Willis minus 175, Sauce Gardner minus 300. Yeah. More reason to lay into Malik Willis, first quarterback off the board. You're delete the tweet. I remember I was the editor at the time you wrote this article, and you pitched me this idea, and I was like, absolutely. It's great. Polarizing. I love it. Mm. A lot of people are going to get fired up 
by this and you you tweeted out that um no you tweeted out and wrote an article that you'd rather have chase winovich really ahead of Rashawn gary it says freak athleticism and elite production chase winovich is the michigan d lineman you should be talking about and the thing was he was good mm-hmm. straight like he was the past two years he was better than gary's a rookie better than gary in year two 47 pressures back in 2020 but then obviously injury struck this year gets traded i am surprised they gave up on him so soon but he was old as shit coming out. And that was the thing that didn't factor in nearly as much back then as they do now in terms of he was 24 years old when he's drafted. He's about to turn 27 here in April. <laughs> he's an old dude for an edge rusher. So there is reason to believe he might be capped. And obviously the Patriots are moving on from because they may feel similarly. So, yeah, Chase Winovich, year three did not go as planned. Rashawn Gary blew up in year three. That tweet looking deletable. Some other news coming out here. I know we um, got off the free agency segment, but there's a report now that the Packers did offer Devontae Adams Devontae over $23 million per year, and he declined. He is looking for that $30 million figure. I mean, he's right looking now, to at least beat Christian Kirk at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's looking to beat Christian Kirk. He's looking to beat Christian Kirk. Man, can't, I can't. I mean, he's going to make a lot of money, and, they, and he's going to be worth every penny. I mean, they're going to have to pay it. They're going to have to pay it, especially with Rodgers back. All right, generational prospect bracket. We've done this the last few weeks now. We've done different off, you know, um, different prospects. We are now on to safety. Let's do it. Safety is an interesting one. 2015, PFF safety one, or the first one off the board in that mock draft we wrote in 2015. We did not do a big board then. was Landon Collins. Then in 2016, my guy, I was a huge fan of him as well. I fell for the same trap. Carl Joseph in 2016, he was the 30th ranked player on our board then. In 2017, Jamal Adams coming out of LSU, the sixth overall player on PFF's board. 2018, Derwin James wasn't even close. Steve was waxing poetic about Derwin James in that 2018 NFL draft. 2019 to Sierra Adderley. Still a lot to play out. A lot of people like Sierra Adderley. 29th ranked player on PFF's draft board then. 2020, yikes, Grant Delpit. He has not panned out yet. A lot of that's been injury, but still the 15th ranked player on PFF's draft board. 2021, Trayvon Merrick, who you could argue was one of the more you know, impressive defensive rookies this previous season, especially with the snaps he played. He was the 16th ranked player on PFF's draft board. Then Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety, safety one, number two overall player on PFF's draft board with a real shot to win it all here in the generational prospect bracket. We shall see. We shall see on this one. All right, the 1-8 matchup is Landon Collins versus Kyle Hamilton, and, well, we'll just end that one. It's Kyle Hamilton. Next matchup is Carl Joseph back in 2016. He was 30th versus Trayvon Merrick, who was 16th. I'm leaning Joseph. I'm leaning Joseph. You love Joseph. I, I did not love Joe. We did not love Joseph. Despite, I think it was like Lou Riddick that year's draft. He called him the yes. best defensive back in the yes, draft. He that did. He drafted that Jalen Ramsey in that draft. People loved that guy. But he was like 5'9". He's tiny undersized and I, I really like Mary coming out. I just thought he was a very solid player. Maybe not a super rangy safety, but very good ball skills, long dude. I don't know. I, I, I lean Mary. I lean Joseph. I lean Joseph. I was obsessed. Now I was obsessed for the wrong reasons. So he's like a big hitter and physical yeah. and came up in the run game and he had some range to his game too, but the, the size was such a huge concern. I'm not upset if you go Merrick here, but Carl Joseph, man, that was impressive. We're going to go Merrick. Well, and just to stop the presses real quick, Houston Texans continue to make moves that astound me. They are signing Farrell Brown to a one-year deal worth up to $4 million. And who's that, still in the league? He's still in the league. He's still in the league. The current this is courtesy of Jack Cavanaugh, who I think has done some stuff with PFF in the past. He wrote out the Houston Texans' current offense. Listen to this. Davis Mills, Rex Burkhead, quarterback, running back. 
Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard, Justin Britt, AJ Can, Charlie Heck on the offensive line. Ooh. Farrell Brown and Brevin Jordan as the two tight ends. Then you have Nico Collins, Brandon Cooks, and Chris Conley as your receiving core. Brandon Cooks, who knows if he's still there. Laramie Tunsil, who knows if he's still there. Both guys could be traded. That is absolutely insane. That roster is a legitimate disaster defensively and offensively yeah. and they yeah. are making no moves to get better right like these are that's not just obvious in the players they're picking it's obvious in the money they're spending yeah. like some people like hating on the moves that they're making or whatever it's like oh you just don't think Farrell brown's good or you just don't think justin britt's good it's like no no one does that's why they're paying four million dollars for Farrell brown right it's yeah. gonna be one of the lowest paid starting offenses in the nfl because you're not signing anyone who's like actually market competitive or or, or drawing a lot of market competitive contracts and honestly like there's no reason to you doesn't one guy you go out and bl you go out and do what the Jaguars just did? You still go three and fourteen, four yeah. and thirteen. No, I, no, you know. I'm not advocating for the Houston Texans to go out and spend big with so so much uncertainty under center, so much uncertainty with Deshaun Watson. I guess it's just insane. It's an insane period as a, if you are a Houston Texans fan to witness, right? Like this is an obvious yeah, situation where like a Houston, yeah, a Houston Texans team is not making any moves to improve. Like you rarely see this part of a rebuild where they're just actively making decisions to just kind of kick the can down the road until they actually have some clarity on what they could do at quarterback, right? Yeah. And what the draft picks they'll have and all that stuff. So Houston in a weird purgatory of terrible, which I don't even know if it exists. It's the worst version of hell. Yeah. Uh, let's not clip that. Next piece here is Jamal Adams versus Grant Delpit. This one's not even close. That one's not even close. Love Jamal Adams coming out. These This first round's cakewalk, in my yeah. opinion. Derwin James against Nazir Adderley. Come on. Derwin James. Now, now it gets tough though because we have Kyle Hamilton against Derwin James, and to me, this is the deciding factor. I think Derwin. I lean the Derwin. Decider. I think Derwin and, and 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 how much versatility and and everyone talked about how he could play outside corner, he could play slot. Like no, now Kyle Hamilton probably could do a lot of those things. Brian Kelly on this podcast said he's the most versatile player he's ever coached, but I don't think we were talking about we're not talking about Hamilton like we were Derwin coming out of Florida State. I I, I do think that Derwin was different. I agree. I think. I lean Derwin as well. As much as I love Kyle Hamilton, Derwin was just more explosive. It's a tough round of 32 was, draw. You know what I mean? It's a tough second-round draw for Hamilton. He was just a unique talent that was the most head-scratching slide I've ever seen since I started doing the draft. It was the most head-scratching slide. I just could not understand why he fell to 17. He was – like, if you just evaluated him as this pure cornerback, if you wanted him to be a cornerback, he would have been – an elite cornerback. If you want him to be an edge rusher, that you could have rushed the passer at a high level, in my opinion. He just different cat. So much to love Hamilton. It's Derwin. Merrick versus Adams. That one's Adams, but we've already decided. Derwin James, your generational safety prospect, PFF era. So now we got the generational. So Saquon's generational running back. Quentin Nelson, your generational interior offensive lineman. Quinnen interior. Generational interior defensive lineman, Amari Cooper, generational wideout, Penny Sewell, generational OT, and then Derwin, your generational safety. There what a squad. Mm. What an absolute squad. Quinn Williams is the only one who's like legit not panned out up to expectation, right? I mean, so Quan Barkley probably not either, given injuries and stuff, but Quinn Williams, when healthy, yeah. has not yeah, been yeah, what yeah, we expected. Like, not at all. I agree. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We're going to be on continually throughout the week breaking down some of the free agency moves before we get into peak, peak NFL draft season, looking at our prospect rankings, mock drafts out of free agency, et cetera. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.
Now joining Tailgate is Georgia offensive tackle Jamari Salyer, national champion. You were adamant about that there in Indianapolis right before up before you put up some massive reps on the bench press. I was there at the combine, impressed with you in more ways than one. It's great to have you on the show. Yes, sir. I appreciate that you having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and um, it's, it's been a blessing the whole process. So thank you. Oh, of course, man. You have, you have earned it the entire way, man. I really really have respected your game, and I really think everyone got to know Jamari Salyer a little bit better in that national, you know, in that college football playoff run, specifically going against projected number one overall pick, right? Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan. You go toe-to-toe with him on a handful of reps in that game and, and have a really, really impressive performance. I want to know, start to finish, what it was like preparing for a talent like him, what all went into that preparation in the film room, in the weight room, in the practice field, and also in that game just what you feel worked best to, to kind of handle that matchup right because it was a, a, a really dominant impressive performance from you yeah so uh, I mean it kind of started off psychological of course you know you come off from the SEC championship which I play I feel like I play, played pretty well in but our team didn't play that well in and so you know it kind of got psychological you know everybody wanted to make the big the media wants to make the matchup you know what I mean and so yeah. uh, everybody wants to talk about how uh, their, their defensive ends would do against our offensive tackles. So it, it started off psychological, of course. Uh, you know, and Coach Smart wanted to play into that. He's wanted to be like, you know, how are you going to respond? How are you going how are you going you know, correct your mistakes from the last game? And how are we going to get better, blah, blah, blah. So he, he issued a challenge first. Coach Smart issued it, like, probably we, we played on that Saturday. And, you know, he issued the challenge probably, like, that next Monday. He's like, man, like, this game is going to come down to how you guys perform on third down. Now, luckily yeah. in that game, one of our biggest uh, game plans was to stay out of third down, stay out of third and long, <laughs> to not allow them to, you know, pin their ears back, get into their their, their rush package. So they were good. They were good. We knew that they were good um, just individually, but we also knew that third down plan gave their, their players a chance to be able to, you know, get out and do what they do best, which is rush the passer. And so for us, man, we just wanted to take it day by day, get better at one thing every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it showed in the matchup, you know what I mean? It showed in the matchup. Um, they were both very talented players, both freaky athletes off the edge. And so, but, it, you know, practice helped out a lot with that. Um, playing against the players we play against every single day, I yeah. uh, definitely made that game a lot easier than it would have been for a guy who doesn't see that every single day. So, uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed the matchup. Um, you know, we talked a little bit after the game, just shook hands, said, you know, said, you know, good job to each other between me and Hutchinson and uh, Ojabo as well. You know, I got a lot of respect for both of them. So, uh, yeah, they're going to be great, great Sunday players. Uh, yeah, great Sunday players, and honestly, just a lot of really good preparation for you, right, as you march on to the NFL, going against talents like that and putting that out on tape. Had to impress a lot of evaluators, a lot of decision makers in the NFL. Speaking of decision makers, speaking of the NFL, you had a phenomenal start to your combine, right? I know you have plans to do more of the drills and more of the things uh, at your Georgia Pro Day, but impressive number on the bench, and you also cleared the 33-inch mark, right? It's crazy how much we look at this process and hand size, arm length, wingspan, all these little inches matter when you start to you know figure out who's going to be drafted where and all that stuff you clear this threshold that a lot of teams assume right getting over this 33 mark to play tackle in the NFL that that's how, how I looked at it you know, you are coveted though for this guard tackle versatility they think you could you know a lot of people I talk to think you could play anywhere along the offensive line what's your reaction to that right where people are speaking to you know speaking on you as this guy that has this versatility and what have teams said about you know where they want to play you in the NFL Oh uh, yeah, so <clears throat> for me, I think my experience speaks for itself. Uh, you know, obviously, I played left tackle in the SEC, uh, dominated left tackle in the SEC from my perspective. Um, played right tackle in the SEC as well as a, as a young sophomore coming in. Um, also played a, a lot of center uh, freshman year. Yeah, and I snapped every day. I snapped every day in practice. Naturally, I came in as a guard, so I, I played there as well. Played there in some games as well. So uh, for me, honestly, it's just kind of tough. Where you know, teams ask me like, "What's your what is, position you feel the most comfortable at?" And I can honestly say all of them. You know, I've gotten so much experience in reps at every single position. So it's just like for me, 
Um, I don't really know where to choose. You know, obviously home base to me right now feels like left tackle. So I played there, you know, my the last two yeah. years of college football. But, uh, you know, I snap every day in practice, so I feel comfortable at center. Uh, you know, I feel comfortable with my ability to make mic points and, and uh, read defenses, understand what's coming. Because, you know, at, at Georgia on third down, you don't, you don't tell them what you're going to get. Same way in practice. It's probably worse. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I enjoy that part of the game. And, uh, you know, to me, I feel like it just kind of speaks to the – to the to the brain I have in my head that my mom gave me, uh, you know, just being able to use that to diagnose defenses and being able to pick up on schemes, not just assignments. Um, you know, Coach Pitt was very big on understanding ske- the scheme and why we're doing what we're doing. Even Coach Luke, understanding why we're doing what we're doing so that we can do it better. Um, and I think that helped me be able to, to line up and play every position when I need it. And I think you're approaching that answer or that question in the best way possible, right? You know, so many teams covet, obviously, off the tackles are some of the highest paid players in the NFL, but right. they also covet versatility, right? They want guys that can play multiple positions. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs, they signed Joe Tooney, an offensive guard. He's playing left tackle by the end of the year due to injuries, right? And I think you need guys that can play anything. And that's obviously that's well within your game. Getting back to Georgia, and you've mentioned the practices a handful of time. In my time interviewing Georgia players, something that, I, that comes up a ton is Bloody Tuesdays, right? Where you're playing the run game all day long long i'm going to i'm putting on my to-do list in my life my my uh, my bucket list to go watch a practice a bloody tuesday practice there at georgia but there's a bloody tuesday every single day of the week named georgia jordan davis who i'm sure you had to go toe-to-toe with a handful of times in addition to a lot of really talented defensive linemen he stars at the combine he is this freakish alien-like athlete what was it like practicing against him and and just speak to some of the stories right playing with him and, and and just seeing him develop over the course of his career I mean, yeah, this guy's a freak athlete, uh, you know, and it, it wasn't really like he just walked in that way. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, Coach Sinclair, Coach Smart, those guys did a great job in his development. He did a great job. Um, a lot of credit to him. You know, everybody likes to get point the finger at, you know, the people in the staff room. But Jordan, J.D. came back with a different mindset, you know, his last few years there, you know, from a young freshman. And we all had to change. You know, was, Georgia kind of makes you change your mindset. You either, you know, get ate up in a place like that or, you know, you kind of conform to it and, and grow as a person. And so for us, you know, we just decided to do that at some point. But he he definitely put the work in. He definitely made sure that, you know, every time he had an opportunity to get better, he uh, took a, a rep as hard as he could in practice. He conditioned and got his got his weight down to be able to play at a high level in the Miami Heat or in the Georgia Sun, you know what I mean? So he did he did a good job uh, capitalizing on his opportunities uh, on a day-in, a day-out basis. I mean, he's just a freak, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's a freak. I um, mean, you, you just – Best you can do is put a put a good double team on them, and <laughs> honestly, your best best probably try to wear them down. Honestly, but I mean, first first and ten, P and ten, JD's out there, he's rolling, um, and that just kind of speaks to our whole defense. I mean, just a lot of talent, a lot of guys with a, with a lot of leaders, a lot of alpha males in that group, a lot of leaders, um, a lot of guys that want to be able to just play their, play their best for their team, um, and that's that's kind of what made us a strong team this year, just our connection. So, but uh, yeah, what JD did on on combine, I mean, we watched JD do that. I I, can't, I don't know how many times I can count, um, but I'm glad he came in in really good shape and, and really went out there and dominated like he should have because uh, we all knew he could do that. So, A lot of athletes, a lot of leaders, and Jamari, I'll say this, a lot of national championship champions on that team as well. No the doubt, ne- no the doubt. next guy in line, the next guy in line that everyone's talking about, I've talked to a handful of people in the NFL, some other media, the name keeps coming up, Jalen Carter, this guy that's yep. not draft eligible, that's not uh, leaving for the NFL just yet, but I'm sure he will be soon, drawing a ton of buzz. Speak to him and, and what, what what Georgia still has, right? What Georgia still has is N'Kobe Dean, yourself, Davis, all leave. Carter there to stay and for good reason. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, J.C., young young kid, uh, very, very um, explosive. That's what I was trying to say. Very explosive out of his hips, very strong. Like, that's an ox right there. Uh, mm-hmm. And, then, you know, he doesn't look like the J, the Jordan Davis, you know what I mean? He's not 6'7", six, 6'6", six, 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 340, but he's strong. You know what I mean? He's strong. 
Um, very, very savvy football player. You can obviously tell that, you know, whoever he was uh, coached by in high school, you know, kind of taught him technique because he came in that way as a freshman. Uh, he came in, um, you know, he had to grow. He had to mature like we all had to, uh, you know, be able to understand the system and whatever, learn the plays. But, man, you just put him out there. You just let him go. I mean, he's hard to stop. You know, first yeah. down, second down, third down. He's a great player, a freaky pass rusher, a freak athlete too. He's going to be another guy that comes in and tears up the combine next year, especially if he gets the opportunity to do it. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see him, you know, take this year and really just pop. Uh, you know, everybody kind of got, you know, a little bit of – little bits and tastes of it, you know, because he was behind a lot of talented guys. But, I mean, this year should be his year. He should dominate the SEC. I don't really see any any scheme or team or forte kind of slowing him down. He's a freak athlete, um, and he's freaky strong. Freaky strong as Ozzy. I mean, hitting him is like hitting a brick wall. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's tough. He's a tough player. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for him. All Georgia fans have a lot to look forward to with Jalen Carter returning to school. Um, the the thing we've alluded to a little bit, obviously a national champion, and I don't have a lot of opportunities to talk to guys that have won a national championship. I need to hear what the celebration was like, man. What was yeah. that like? The game was fantastic. You guys dominate in that game. It was an awesome win. And I'm sure you can't tell me every story. I need to hear, though, what that celebration was like on the field and, and going into the locker room. I mean, on the field, I mean, it was just kind of magical. Um, I can't even really put – and it put it into words. I just wish it, I wish, I wish like that feeling you can kind of bottle it up and just kind of like walk around with it. And you just wait, when you're having a bad day, you just, you know, take a sip, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's just, I mean, you see the lights, you see, and I, and I, and I remember talking to the guys, dressing the guys before the game. I'm just like, hey guys, I mean, the, the, the confetti's going to fall tonight. Confetti, confetti's going to fall, it's either going to fall, crimson and white is going to fall red and black. And so, uh, you know, I was like, man, what are you going to do for four quarters to make sure it falls red and black? Like, what are you going to do? And I know a lot of guys probably remember me saying that, but mm -hmm. I, but that's what I meant. You know, and I've seen the confetti fall, and I really get to see it fall red, got to see it fall red and black, whether it's SEC championship or whatever. So, I mean, for us, I mean, it was just one to make sure we, we left it all on the line. Our connection had taken us so far as a team. And so, um, I mean, just after the game, I mean, it was great. I mean, you got people like dog fans still sitting there. We out there celebrating 30, 40 minutes after the game. You see the podium. They roll the podium out and all this confetti's on the ground. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's something that I will never, I hope, I hope God never lets me forget that because man, that's just, I, that is a, that is amazing. It's an amazing feeling in that in the locker room. It, it just, to me, it all kind of happened too fast for me, you know, yeah. being a draft eligible guy. I mean, one day you're in Indianapolis, next day you're home packing stuff. Next day after that, you're in Pensacola training. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it all kind of happened too fast for me, but, uh, and I miss it. You know, I miss it. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I miss it a lot. I miss the opportunity to be able to have played in those games. But, man, it was it was a fun ride. It was a fun ride. Confetti is guaranteed tonight. I love that, man. That's great yeah. energy. I think that's fantastic. And I hope you don't forget it either, man. That's it's just an absurd experience. That it was awesome to see from my perspective. Listening to, I think you did an interview with CBS Sports in mm -hmm. Indianapolis. And you know, it's an often approached question in this process, whether it be from media or even from teams. I was talking to a handful of um, scouts that sit in on some of these interviews. One of the most common questions is, is how much do you love football? You know, they want to know how important football is to you. You had a really high energy, passionate response to that that I, I want to hear where you think your passion for the game and, and your love for football, your prioritization of football in your life really just show up on tape. Uh, yeah, so for me, man, I want to just pride myself on doing the best that I can be. I always pride myself on being a team player. And so for me, it just never really um, – I never, I never wanted to be selfish. Like, I've never been selfish at home as a kid. I've never been a selfish kid. I'm the oldest of three, so I didn't really have a choice but to not be selfish. You know, I always yep. had to share everything and <laughs> let little brother and little sister have this. So, you know, the team attitude was instilled in me at a young age. Mom didn't have – she didn't want to go for that. So, for me, I just wanted to be a team player. 
Um, I wanted to make sure that I was respected amongst my teammates and um, make sure they understood that I would never ask them to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And, um, you know, whether that's not partying, everybody knew I was the old man. I didn't party. So you have to worry about it. If I'm telling y'all not to party, they can't really say like, oh, well, you partying. That's not true. <laughs> you know, so uh, for me, man, I just wanted to make sure I was a good example on the field, off the field with the way that I played, the way I carried myself. And um, for me, that's just what drives me to be a, a better player is just doing things the right way, doing things the right way and just seeing the results that come from it, the work that's put into it. And that's one of the biggest things that stand out, stands out for me for last season is just, you know, the work that put into it on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you talk about the Bloody Tuesdays. They're fun to laugh and look back on, but, you know, when you're getting, that, getting yourself ready, you're going to have class from 8 to 12. He's like, all right, it's Bloody Tuesday. You know, you got to get yourself going, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, just that work, that perseverance, man, I always wanted to be a great role model and I always want to do things the right way. And so, to me, that's – and that's what the, the cloth that I feel like I'm cut from, just my mom, my grandfather, my grandmother, and my aunt. It's those people that really – put time in to raise me you know what i'm saying that's the that's the cloth that they're from and so i want to be able to exemplify yeah. that with with the name that we're on on my back and um just playing the way that i do i want to be able to show that that's my chance to be able to do that to be selfish every once in a while is to show it in the way that i play show my passion show my energy and being able to be who i am on the field because i know i enjoy this game of football more than anything you know and like i said in my interview a lot of people don't get the chance to enjoy the things that were once dreamed for them but man i'm 21 years old about to be 22 still living mine so uh, i'm blessed to be here and uh I make sure I thank God for that every single day and live it out. That's super impressive, man. Super impressive here. And honestly, congratulations the whole way you go, man. That's awesome. One more question and I'll let you go. Threw mm-hmm. up an impressive 31 reps on the bench there in, yeah. in Indianapolis and you're making the decision to run the rest of your drills at your pro day, which I believe is in mid-April. What should, what kind of show are you going to put on there? What should people expect to see? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to show people that I'm an athlete. I mean, you know, you listen to a lot of these guys talk about the way that I play. It's like, oh, he's not a premier athlete. And I'm just confused. I'm like, man, I could have sworn I played left tackle two years in SEC and, and, and then dominated against some good edge rushers, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, just turn on the tape. That's what I say when it comes to the whole athleticism kick. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I want to be able to go out there and show that I'm an athlete that I am. I want to be able to, you know, prove that I am who I say I am when it comes to my, my play, that I am a good athlete, that I'm a, a good leader. Um, you know, just, just being who I am, that I'm smart in the meeting rooms. I know a lot of it comes down to meetings and whatnot. So um, just for me, just being able to put on display that that's what Jamari Sire here is. That's that's mm-hmm. what I want to do um, at my pro day. Um, that's what I feel like I, I had a little piece of that at Combine, just being able to show the strength aspect of it in the meeting and um, film room aspect of it with certain teams. But, yeah, for me, I want to be able to continue that on and just, you know, add an athletic piece to it and be able to add the athlete. Oh, yeah, this kid is an athlete. He can, he can run. He can move and stuff like that because, you know, a lot of people seem to doubt that nowadays about me. So, uh, you know, I want to be able to change that narrative as well. Well, I'm excited to see it, Jamar. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you.